episode 122 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Back to the distinct album from my dad's collection that sticks out like a sore thumb. It's slightly broader than normal LP records, and the cover is a soft padding that holds a small booklet and five records in a spiral binding inside a perfect binding. So, Get ready for two more sides filled with music from a band leader who lost his life in the service of this country with Volume 122, Glenn Miller Collection, Part 4.
There's one of the first tunes I learned on trumpet, American Patrol, written by F.W. Meacham and broadcast April 23rd, 1942. Okay, why this record for this episode? I played the heck out of this collection when I was young. Like I said in the opening, this five-album set was always hard to miss in my dad's collection. I've said this in previous episodes. We found records all over my dad's house when we were preparing the estate sale. But the place he kept his most commonly played records was inside a cabinet not too far away from the living room stereo. That cabinet also went all the way through the wall, and I could access it in the room that would eventually become my bedroom. So I was able to grab it all the time for my own turntable. Also, let me clarify something as well. Most of you know what spiral binding books look like. Perfect binding, just in case you didn't know, is the kind of binding regular books use. It's just odd to see one kind of binding inside the other. It's a well-protected record set, and one of my favorite sets it is. And now, here's a typical love story, or is it? That I would be an also ran. I overlooked that point completely until the big affair began. Before I knew where I was at, I found myself up on the shelf, and that was that. I tried to reach the moon, but when I got there, all that I could get was the air. My feet are back upon the ground. I lost the one man I found. there, Texas. What you say? What you doing in tails? This ain't go to meet Dave. You're asking me what I'm doing in tails. Why, what you building? It's all in their veils. Well, I was heading for a wedding, but I'm waiting at the church. Yeah, me too. I got left in the lurch. My gal ran off with a guy named Jim. That's my boyfriend's name. What's she doing with him? Hey, this is really getting to be an awful bait. Looks like Austin's got some new plans to make. What you say if we get hitched? Solid, Gate. Well, hand me my horn, gal. Let's celebrate. Well, 
<laughs> I guess I'll have to change my plan with vocals by Marion Hutton and Tex Beneke. That was written by Howard Dietz and Arthur Schwartz, lyricist and composer respectively, and broadcast July 30th, 1940. All right, let me tell you about my dad's vinyl I have chosen for this episode. Glenn Miller and his orchestra, second pressing on the RCA Victor label LPT 6700. It's a collector's issue series. It's a five vinyl LP compilation released in 1956. Its genre is jazz. Its style is big band and swing. We will hear seven songs from record four, which is sides four and seven, thanks to the automatic record changer way of numbering sides. Now, I will continue the liner notes from where we left off in episode 94, featuring the third album from this set and if you're uh, looking at the video version of this you can see there are a ton of liner notes in this booklet on april 4th 1939 glenn miller and his orchestra recorded four sides for the bluebird label neat the spreading chestnut tree and the angels sing moonlight serenade and the ladies in love with you a few months later, it opened at the Glen Island Casino to such unbridled enthusiasm that there could be no further doubts about its success. No one, however, realized what vast proportions that success was to achieve. In January 1940, the band began broadcasting three times a week under the sponsorship of Chesterfield Cigarettes. Many of those performances, which have been bootlegged, the trained term for illicit selling, at $25 each, are to be heard in this album. If they are superb music, which they are, as rich and rhythmic and exciting as they were almost 14 years ago, they are also nostalgia, evoking the pre-television years when people were not deterred from listening to the radio by curiosity over what Miss Betty Furness might discover in her refrigerator. From that point on until he disbanded in the fall of 1942 in order to implement his conviction that buying war bonds was not, quote, a sufficient show of patriotism for an able-bodied man, unquote, and enlisted in the U.S. Army, Miller was the most popular dance band leader of all time. In 1940, for example, more than three million copies of his records were sold, and his gross income, including royalties on the sales, was well in excess of $800,000, or over $17 million in today's dollar. Such popularity is extraordinary enough in itself, but what is even more remarkable is that it has never really waned. Actually, in fact, there seems to be as much interest in Glenn Miller today as there was during his lifetime. This album is a musical portrait, or perhaps even an autobiography, of Miller from the moment he attained success with his own band almost until the tragic end of his life. And I'll finish up those liner notes when we get around to the episode featuring the last and fifth disc of this set. Okay, let's see what prices this record is being sold at on Discogs.com. $33.33 for the highest, $13.33 for the lowest, for a $23.33 average and median. Too many threes in that one. It was last sold on March 2nd, 2022 for that high price. I found a couple on eBay from $19 to $28 and one on Amazon for $55. Now, my dad's album uh, is in... Yeah, 
poor condition, a lot of scratches, and you can really tell that the changer was used on this album set quite often. I know I put them on the self-changer uh, myself quite often uh, back when I was growing up. The internal book is actually still in really good condition, nice and sharp, and the cover, I'm going to call it poor, while there's not really any markings on it, including my dad's, none of my dad's markings that we usually see. It is yellowed, however, and a couple of the uh, a couple of the versions that I found online were not as yellow. So I'll value my dad's vinyl at $8. Next up, a position I held in my Boy Scout troop with great pride. <laughs> Our Troop Bugler. Bugle Call Rag, written by Billy Myers, Elmer Schobel, and Jack Pettis, and broadcast November 25th, 1941. Now, we've covered Miller's life extensively in previous episodes, so I'm going to use a highly edited Britannica article to give you a synopsis. Alton Glenn Miller was born March 1st, 1904, in Clorinda, Iowa. He played for several bands before being hired as a trombonist with Ben Pollock's orchestra in the mid-1920s. From 1928 to 1936, Miller worked as a freelance musician, contributing his arrangements and trombone playing to the bands of Red Nichols, the Dorsey Brothers, Benny Goodman, Ray Noble, and Smith Ballou. 
1935, he studied with the music theorist Joseph Schillinger, who proved influential in Miller's development of the instrumentation that was an important component in his later success. Miller formed his first band in 1937. It attracted little notice, but some of its recordings were admired by critics, especially Miller's arrangement of I Got Rhythm with its use of countermelody and multiple false endings. Miller was a perfectionist, more interested in mass acceptance than critical praise, and less concerned with how close his music came to a jazz ideal than with how well it connected with the listener. His hit songs define the swing era itself for many listeners, and they are among the best-loved songs of the period. Contributing to the success of the Miller Band was tenor saxophonist singer Tex Beneke, whose country-tinged vocals highlighted such numbers as Chattanooga Choo Choo and I've Got a Gal in Kalamazoo. Also notable was Wilbur Schwartz, whose lead lines on the clarinet were noted for purity of tone. Bobby Hackett was known as a jazz cornetist, although his style was considered too mellow for Miller's brass section, and he instead served as band guitarist, occasionally he got a cornet solo. His turn on A String of Pearls is perhaps the most celebrated instrumental solo on a Miller recording. Miller himself rarely played trombone solos, but he did on Little Brown Jug. Miller's reign at the top of the popular music charts came relatively late in his career, and he stunned the music world by disbanding his orchestra and enlisting in the army in the fall of 1942. As he wrote on August 12th, attempting to persuade officials of his usefulness, he wanted to, quote, put a little more spring into the feet of our marching men and a little more joy into their hearts, unquote, as well as to modernize the band. To that end, and to raise millions of dollars for the war effort, he spent October 1942 to December 1944 leading the All-Star Army Air Force Band, a 42-piece orchestra with a 19-piece swing band at its core. The band was made up of some of the best players from the classical and jazz fields, and its varied repertoire was well-suited to Miller's own ambitions as a leader and arranger. When Miller boarded a London to Paris military flight on December 15, 1944, he transcended his celebrity status to become a figure of American myth. No trace of the plane was ever discovered, and Miller's fate has been the topic of much speculation, including theories ranging from bad weather to an accidental hit by British bombers jettisoning their payloads over the English Channel. Miller's death came as a shock to his fans throughout the world, as well as to American servicemen who ranked Miller with Bob Hope and the Andrews sisters as the war's greatest morale boosters. I'm not sure how Glenn Miller felt about planes, but he certainly liked his trains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
my partner, it's my day Bend an ear and listen to my version Pardon me, boy. Is that the Chattanooga choo-choo? Yes, yes. Track 29. Boy, you can give me a shine. Can you afford to borrow Chattanooga choo-choo? I've got my fare. And just a trifle to spare. You leave the Pennsylvania station about a quarter to four. A magazine and then you're in Baltimore. Dinner in the diner, nothing could be finer. Then to have your ham and eggs in Carolina. When you hear the whistle blowing eight to the bar, then you'll know that Tennessee is not very far. Shovel all the coal in, gotta keep it rolling. Ooh, 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 there you are. There's gonna be a certain party at the station. I used to call Bunny Bay. She's gonna cry until I tell her that I'll never roam. So Chattanooga choo-choo, won't you choo-choo me home? Chattanooga, Chattanooga, get aboard, all aboard. Chattanooga choo-choo, won't you choo-choo me home? Spinning my dad's vinyl.
I'll call that my choo-choo twofer with Sleepy Town Train, written by Alan Roberts and Bill Fontaine and recorded July 16th, 1942. And before that, we heard Chattanooga Choo Choo with vocals by Tex Beneke and the Modern Airs, written by Harry Warren and Matt Gordon. And that was broadcast December 30th, 1941. Time now for this episode's interesting side note, and it has to do with the song I just mentioned. Glenn Miller is recognized as having been awarded the very first gold record when Chattanooga Choo Choo reached more than a million in record sales. Radio announcer Paul Douglas presented the first ever gold record to Miller on February 10, 1942, saying, It's a pleasure to be here tonight. And speaking of RCA Victor, we're mighty proud of that Chattanooga Choo Choo and the man that made the record, Glenn Miller. You see, it's been a long time, 15 years in fact, since any record has sold a million copies. And Chattanooga Choo Choo certainly put on a, on steam and breezed right through that million mark by over 200,000 pressings. And we decided that Glenn should get a trophy. The best one we could think of is a gold record of Chattanooga. And now, Glenn, it's yours, with the best wishes of RCA Victor Bluebird Records. Douglas awarded Miller with the record live on his own CBS radio show and said, I think everyone listening in on the radio should know, Glenn, it actually is a recording of Chattanooga Choo Choo, but it's in gold, solid gold, and it's really fine. But this isn't the official Recording Industry Association of America gold record you're thinking about. Well, not yet anyway. It was a publicity stunt from RCA Victor, who literally sprayed a master copy of the record with gold lacquer after the record sold a whopping 1.2 million copies. 16 years later, in 1958, the RIAA borrowed the idea and trademarked what we now recognize today as the gold record based on the number of albums and singles sold through retail and other supporting markets. The first gold single was awarded to Perry Como in 1958 for Catch a Falling Star, and the first gold album was given to Gordon McRae for the soundtrack to Oklahoma. Miller was eventually awarded with a certified gold record from the RIAA for Chattanooga Choo Choo, and the recording was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1996. Now, I want to thank Mixed Down Magazine for the online article, which was written by Eli Duxon, that I took a lot of that from. Glenn Miller, always ahead of his time. Now time for one of his popular wedding medals. Good evening, everybody. It's medley night again with a little bit of something old, new, bored, and blue. Something old, my melancholy baby. Sings moon love. Will this be moon love? 
nothing but moonlight. Will you be gone when the dawn comes stealing through? Are these just moon dreams? And while the moonbeams, but when the moon fades away, will my dreams come true? Much as I love you, don't let me love you. If I must pay for your kiss with lonely tears, say it's not moonlight. Tell me it's true love. Say you'll be mine when the moon disappears. We barred stopping at the Savoy for my good friend Benny Goodman. <laughs> he liked to do each show. That medley was made up of Something Old, My Melancholy Baby, written by Ernie Burnett, George Norton, and Maybelle Watson. Something New, Moon Love, with vocals by Ray Eberly, written by Andre Kastelanitz, Mac David, and Peter Illich Tchaikovsky. Something Borrowed was Stomping at the Savoy, written by Andy Razoff, Benny Goodman, Chick Webb, and Edgar Sampson. And Something Blue was Blue Moon, written by composer Richard Rogers and lyricist Lorenz Hart. And it was broadcast January 10th, 1940. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I will always enjoy pulling this record set out to listen to. Not only is there some of the most recognizable music from the big band era on it, but this was the most recognizable album in my dad's collection and a favorite of mine in my dad's back when I was growing up. 
It was thanks to this collection I learned and understood how to use the automatic record changer. Sides 1 through 5 were sides 1 for each of the records, then 6 through 10 were sides 2. So you could put all five records on the turntable and have them play in order, pop them down one at a time, and then just turn over the whole stack and let them pop down one at a time as well. Now, that was a way to really mess up your records, which is why many of my dad's records are in the shape they are in. And to finish up the show, we learned that Glenn Miller certainly was this.
Flag Waver, written by Jerry Gray and broadcast November 25th, 1941. And there you have selections from the physically largest and softest record album in my dad's collection. So thanks for tuning into Volume 122, Glenn Miller Collection Part 4, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 123, Roger, by request. Until then, go with the flow, my friends. (laughs) ¶¶